Let's open our Bibles now, though, to Matthew chapter 6. It feels very weird to not say to the book of Romans. It would have been a fun prank, though, if I had just preached from Romans this morning somewhere. (laughs) Just keep going. We did a hundred sermons. We can keep going. But we've got, we've got two Sundays before I'm gone for a couple weeks on vacation. So on these two Sundays, we're doing something a little out of the ordinary for us, a more topical preaching, although we'll preach through books or verses of the Bible, passages of Scripture, but uh, not, we're, we're accustomed now to working our way through books of the Bible. So these next two weeks will be a little, little different for us. But once you have uh, opened your Bibles to Matthew 6, let's stand together if you are able Once more, in honor of the Word of God, as we read from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Hear the words of our Lord. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They never sow, neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you for your living, supernatural, inerrant word. This good and pure and perfect gift. This word that that reveals to us our God. This this word that is the, the very voice of our God speaking to us. This word through which by your Spirit you work to cause dead hearts to live and blinded eyes to see. And yes, broken hearts to be mended. Pray, Lord, that you would accomplish your good purposes by your Spirit, through your Word, among us this morning. I pray for myself as I proclaim your Word, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, you can be seated. Wilson Meisner was a playwright in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and he, he once made this statement. He said, life is a tough proposition, and it's the first 100 years that are really the toughest. <laughs> life is hard. That's just a fact. That's just a reality. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Some of our troubles are obvious to everyone. We lose a loved one. We battle a significant illness. Even our our financial troubles are a little bit more obvious to people, perhaps. But with other things, we tend to suffer all alone. We tend to suffer in silence. Mental suffering is 
intensely isolating. We feel like we are all alone. It can feel like we are sinking. It can feel like we are being swallowed up. Charles Spurgeon, who suffered greatly from anxiety and depression, said this, the mind can descend far lower than the body, for in it there are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and then no more, but the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over and over again each hour. The reality is there's a, there's a lot of people in our world who suffer in silence, who suffer mentally, who suffer with things like anxiety, who suffer with things like depression. In fact, it's about one in seven people in our world in this day who are facing these things. The numbers aren't really different in the church. We don't talk about it very much. We hear a lot about these things out there in the world, right? You watch any, any show, anything like that, the commercials are going to be advertising different medications you can take for these things or, or online therapists that you can see about these things. In the church, we don't talk about them as much because it's highly stigmatized. It's often dismissed. Often those who, who suffer with these things are just flat out told, well, you're sinful. You just need to have more faith. It's, it's very dismissive to tell a person just the way you feel. It's just wrong. You're just wrong all the way around. You need to just repent, and that's all there is to it. That kind of thing helps no one. Next two weeks, I want to address anxiety and depression. Anxiety this week, depression next week. Just leave on a high note (laughs) as I go off on a vacation. I want to apply the truth of scriptures to these common struggles because the truth is there is no magic button that just automatically fixes everything. Looking at someone and going, well, you just need to repent, you just need to stop, doesn't quite do the job. But praise God, there is hope to be found in his word. There are promises to be believed. There is a spirit to strengthen us. And yes, Often there is sin to be identified and repented of. And all of it is a good gift from God. There's something that is true, I believe, for for most of us that are in this room, maybe all of us, something that is common to humanity, and I know that because of the things that God's word says to us, and that is the reality that we are all prone to worry. We are anxious by our very nature, It could be one thing that you're worried about. It could be a hundred things that you're worried about. Some are far worse than others, but worry is a battle that all of us face on some level. Imagine just the morning, you wake up, you're 15 minutes late. You you woke up 15 minutes later than you planned, and that, that creeping feeling has already started. What if I'm late what, what, what's the traffic going to be like? On top of this, what, what if the roads aren't clear for me? What's the, what's the weather like outside? You look into the mirror and you don't particularly love what you see. Oh, there's even more gray there or even less hair there than there used to be. Look at all these wrinkles. Maybe it's the extra pounds that you're carrying around. Maybe you're younger and you're like, these red spots on my face. What will people think of me? You're getting ready, and and the to-do list for the day is already plaguing you. Maybe you made the mistake of looking at your phone, and you had a list of emails. I'm convinced that that our phones, that email and voicemail exist to assign work to people who didn't sign up for it. We just leave them, hey, I need you to do this for me. 
There's no margin for error. The plates of your life are spinning and you are doing everything you can to keep them spinning, but you're going to fall behind. How could you possibly keep up? How could you possibly keep these plates from one after another after another falling and crashing to the ground? Then you look at social media. Why on earth would you look at social media first thing in the morning? And everybody seems so together. Their lives seem so perfect. They, they make the best food. You know because they got pictures of it. <laughs> Have you really had a good meal? If you haven't shared it to Facebook? Their, their kids are so high achieving. They're finishing college classes at the age of 11. <laughs> Talking about you, Aaron. Stop making us feel bad about our kids. They take the best trips. Their lives look so good. They look so good. Am I a failure? Am I missing out on the good life? You could never measure up. What's wrong with you? You feel worse and worse by the minute as you scroll through your feed and you start to see all the bad news, all the gloom and the doom, all the complaining, all the griping, all the fighting, and now, oh, there's been another mass shooting somewhere. You see the moral degradation of our culture. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Wars and rumors of war everywhere you look. You haven't even gotten to breakfast yet, and the kids are clearly in a mood. Maybe I'm not feeding them right. I know there's like a list of things I'm not supposed to give them. And they're eating Frosted Flakes. Am I a terrible parent? They're surely more grumpy, worse behaved than other kids are. It, it can only be that. It must be my fault. It, surely you're failing as a parent. One of the boys refuses to do his schoolwork. Am I totally messing them up? Are they never going to, to learn? What if they fall in with the wrong crowd? What if, they, what if they start to rebel? What if they get hurt? This world is so dangerous. And then you start thinking about your own physical aches and pains. Is it always going to, am I going to feel terrible for the rest of my life? Is that the deal? Every morning I'm going to wake up and I injured myself again somehow in my sleep. What if this pain in my eye is something really bad? So you decide to check the internet. It will give you good medical advice. Okay, well there's a list of 15 diseases. They're all fatal they all fit my sort of ambiguous list of symptoms. What if I'm seriously sick? What if I'm just being a hypochondriac? What if I'm crazy? We don't have enough money for me to be running to the emergency room every time I feel something weird. At the end of the day, you are exhausted. You just want to relax, but your spouse is acting a little bit weird. What if they're upset about me? about something. Is our marriage okay? What's going on? What if we're about to go through a rough patch again? What if there's financial trouble on it and they know about it, I just don't know about it yet and they're keeping it from me? What if, what if they've lost interest in me? What if they find me annoying or they found someone else who they find far more appealing? And so you decide, I've had enough of this day. I'm exhausted you go to bed, you close your eyes, but even though you're totally exhausted, sleep will not come. If only you could shut your brain off somehow. Playing through the day's conversations. Why did I say that? 
Why did I say it like that? What must they have thought of me? For that matter, you're playing through conversations that, that happened five years ago. Thinking about, boy, I am so, I'm so dumb for saying that. I, by the way, still think of something that was published in our high school yearbook when I was a senior in high school. And it makes me feel awful every time I think of it, just so you know you're not alone. You doze off a little bit, but deep, if you can just feel it. Deep sleep is not coming. You keep looking at the clock. If I can fall asleep right now, I've got five hours. Okay, now, if I can fall asleep in the next 10 minutes, three and a half hours, it's better than nothing. If I can't sleep, tomorrow is going to be awful. So not only is all your worry from the previous day still with you, you're worried about tomorrow now. Tomorrow, we already know. What's waiting for me? Tomorrow's going to be terrible. I haven't even slept. And then you wake up. You're tired. You're still exhausted. You can't believe it's another day, and you're ready to start the whole cycle over and over again. Now, now maybe every little detail of that scenario didn't resonate with you, but can you at least relate to some of that description? Some, some of that feeling. For many of us, that's that's not an extraordinarily bad day. We just call that Tuesday. This is a normal day. Well, my brother, my sister, if you feel what I described, here's the good news. Jesus can help. Jesus can help you with that. Sinful anxiety, worry, is exceedingly common in the church today. And let me explain to you what I mean by sinful anxiety. I don't mean disappointment. I don't mean lament. I don't mean desiring certain things or hoping for certain things. I don't mean even having concerns or uneasiness. There is, in fact, a kind of anxiety that's good, that's helpful, a kind of anxiety that helps us remember to pay our bills. We don't want to just be so free and easy that we never remember to make our house payment. It helps us to be productive at work. It helps us to manage our children's safety. Paul said he had anxiety for all the churches. Caring deeply about things, wanting them to go well, that is not sinful. It's not what Jesus is talking about in this passage we're looking at today. He's not pietistically saying all kinds of anxiety are automatically sinful. There's also a, a medical condition that is often called anxiety. We are comp complicated people, body and soul. Our bodies in this fallen world sometimes malfunction. We break bones. We get cancer. We have bad backs and bad eyes and bad hands, bad knees and bad feet, and are bald. <laughs> we get the flu. And yes, sometimes our problem is in our brain. Sometimes it is. That's no more sinful than a broken arm is. And it helps no one when we say that it is. But often our anxiety is not coming from a medical condition that is something like a broken arm. For most people, it really is primarily a matter of faith. John MacArthur says this, it is a distrusting of the promise and providence of God. Our over-the-top work that consumes us is a distrusting of the promise and the providence of God. Of God. That is where anxiety most often becomes sinful. William Barclay says worry is essentially distrusting God Himself. It's a strangulation of trust 
in God. Ultimately, it denies his ability to protect us, to provide for us, to empower us. Or it acknowledges that God is plenty powerful to do all those things. He's just not going to do them for me. So it's how we respond to those feelings of what if that, that matters. Will we respond in faith? Will we respond in unbelief? That's what Jesus is addressing here. So how would we define worry or anxiety? Essentially, anxiety asks that question, what if? It's, it's attempting to live in the future before the future arrives. What if this happens? And what if this happens? And then this might happen. And what if that happens? It's being weighed down by an endless stream of what ifs. What if my loved ones get sick? What if people don't like me? What if my finances fall apart? What if I lose my job? What if those test results come back bad? Weighed down by all the what ifs of life, bound up by them. And now I understand a sermon like this, as we have begun, could be very discouraging. In fact, Jesus is literally going to say to us in verse 30, O you of little faith. And so you might be already thinking, I know I'm not supposed to be anxious, but I can't seem to help it. So now on top of everything else I worry about, on top of everything else I lose sleep about, I now get to feel guilty for not having enough faith. Thanks a lot, Barnabas. Great sermon so far. But please hear me. Although there are no magic buttons to fix everything, there is help in God. God means to help us. Our anxiety is, even if our anxiety is, is a sin problem, a problem of faith, then God means to forgive us and to help us. Three times in in this passage, Jesus tells us what do we need to do. What do we need to do with our anxiety? Well, Jesus says, verse 25, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious. Verse 31, therefore, do not be anxious. Verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious. And we're thinking, oh, it's just that easy. Okay, great. I won't be anxious anymore. Got it. It's like that, that old Bob Newhart sketch, if you've seen it where he's playing a psychologist and a woman comes to him with all of these fears and phobias and his response to her is just to repeatedly say, stop it. And she goes, well, what about this? And he goes, stop it. And it just escalates from there, but there's no other solution to that. It's a funny sketch. It's even true counsel. Stop, stop it. It's not very helpful. You know as well as I do, if you struggle with these things, that you can't just tell yourself, stop it, and somehow that's going to be the magic mantra that fixed it all. If we could stop it, we'd stop it. And sometimes we think of the Word of God as if that's what it's saying to us. As if it is just coldly sitting back in judgment and saying, stop it. But Jesus is doing far more than telling us, stop it. He's giving us something much better than just saying, do not be anxious. He is applying medicine to our sin-sick souls. He is applying the healing balm of his truth to help us overcome our anxiety. He loves us. He wants to get to our hearts, and so he gives us reasons. And we see in this passage seven reasons, at least seven in this text, to not be anxious. First is this, because life is about much more than the things we're worrying about. Verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? 
Worry distorts our perspective. It's, it's, it's like going to the fair and they've got that row of funhouse mirrors that you look in. What you're seeing in the reflection is something akin to reality, but it's not reality at all. It's a completely distorted picture. And so what Jesus is doing is helping us see clearly to help us get our priorities straight. Jesus says, life is too important to live for material things. He's making an argument from the, the greater to the lesser here. If God is able to give you life, which is the greater challenge, then don't you think he can tear, take care of your life? That's a far less challenge. You're more than an animal just trying to find your next meal. Life is more than food. It's more than material things. It is more than our basic provisions, and God will provide for us what is needed. And so Jesus says, don't be anxious about what you'll eat or about what you will wear. Your, li- your life is too important. Secondly, Jesus tells us that you yourself are too important to have anxiety. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Now, the entire self-esteem movement of our culture is wildly out of control and misplaced. You just need to love yourself and understand that you're just the greatest thing that's ever come to this earth. And nobody, No, that's not what we're saying here. But we do need to hear what Jesus is saying. He says, when we're filled with worry that God will not provide for us, what we're proclaiming to the world is, I'm just simply not that valuable to God. I'm not valuable enough for him to, to care for me. Those of us that are in this room, none of us are, are questioning God's ability, his power. We're questioning whether he will do it for us. What we're saying is, I just don't matter that much to him. So we're, we're, we're insulting God when we do that, and we are insulting God's good creation when we say that about ourselves. That's Jesus' argument here. Your heavenly Father, who takes care of the birds... That's why it smells like worms after it rains in the spring. Because he takes care of the birds. And yet if he's willing to take care of birds, which let's admit are foul creatures. Oh, foul creatures. Good. Very good, everyone. Uh, <laughs> I just derailed myself. <laughs> Idiot. He... He takes care of the birds, but you think, okay, the birds don't have to worry. He's going to feed them. He's going to take care of them. But you got to cling to everything. You got to be the one to make it happen. It's all riding on you, saying exactly the right thing, doing exactly the right thing, or else it's all going to fall apart as if God has abandoned you and doesn't love you at all. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Look at the birds. Walk outside and listen to the birds sing and remember that God loves you far more than he loves them. He made you in his image. He sent his one and only son to live for you, to die for you. He loves you. He has not abandoned you. He will take care of you. Do you believe that? I don't just mean humanity. I mean you, Christian. There's no simple fix for anxiety. There's no magic button. Anxiety is real, but the antidote to our anxiety starts with good theology and good 
anthropology, knowing who God is and knowing who we are. Do, do you know, do you believe that God the Father Almighty is your Father? That He loves you? Do you know, do you believe, Christian, that you, you, you have been made in His image? You have been redeemed by His Son, and so you have immeasurable value to Him. Another reason Jesus gives us for why we shouldn't be anxious is because it just simply doesn't do any good. Look at verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Have, have you ever been to the doctor, and the doctor gives you a diagnosis, and then he says, well, all we can do now is worry. If you've been told that by your doctor, you should find a new doctor. It's not helpful. John MacArthur says, you can worry yourself to death, but you will never worry yourself to life. What if we all now just took 10 minutes together to worry? Just think about that thing that weighs on you, the thing you're concerned and worried about that gives you anxious feelings, whatever it is you're stressed out about, and let's take now 10 minutes of dedicated, concentrated, corporate worry. Well, it would fix everything, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that help so much? Well, no, of course it wouldn't. It's not helpful at all, and it's stupid to think that it would be helpful. That's what Jesus is saying. Our anxiety changes nothing. It does not help at all. It doesn't make anything better. No one lives longer. It doesn't fix your kids. It doesn't improve your health. It does just the opposite. Irma Bombeck says worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it'll never get you anywhere. It's totally unproductive. In fact, what it is is destructive. And if you allow it to, it will become a way of life for you. Arthur Roach, another author and playwright, says, worry is a thin stream of fear trickling through our mind. If encouraged, it will cut a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. Maybe you know what that feels like. Everything just funnels in to my worry, to my anxiety, to my... My stress. And so Jesus says, don't be a fool. Worry doesn't help anyone. Nobody lived a single hour longer because they were worried about when they were going to die. Fourth then, though, we ought not worry because God specifically cares about you. Verse 28, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Here's that same thing again. Look at nature. Go, go out into nature. This is, by the way, one of the reasons that getting outside is powerful. It is a powerful help with anxiety and depression. You just simply get outdoors. Touch some grass. It will help you. It's an extremely powerful common grace that God has given to all people. But Jesus says, Christian, look at nature and remember truth. We've got something better than everybody else has when they get out and, and experience nature. He says, Solomon, the richest man in all of history, all of Jewish history, at the height of Israel's might and wealth, if you were in the adult Sunday school class, we, we heard about Solomon's vast, mind-blowing wealth. With all of that treasure, all of that opulence, Jesus says that can't hold a candle 
to the splendor of a simple field of wildflowers. Solomon was not in all his splendor. Nobody worried those flowers into existence. God clothes his creation with mind-blowing beauty. He's a master gardener who tends the garden of his creation. He is creative and powerful. He is God. He cares about grass. He cares about flowers. He cares about natural beauty and Christian. He cares about you infinitely more. Will he not take care of his children? That's why Jesus says in verse 30, oh, you of little faith. That's what he says to us in our worry, in our anxiety. Oh, you of little faith. It's a hard pill to swallow, but it's good medicine for us. Our anxiety is, is an insult to God's character. When we worry, we're not believing the truth about God. We are doubting his power. We are doubting his care. Our anxiety impugns the character of God. It is, it is living like, it is thinking like a practical atheist. It denies our faith in a God who is trustworthy and gracious and sovereign. But beloved child of God, your father knows how to take care of you. Do you understand that the God who's upholding the universe is meticulously directing all things? And that he's not just the almighty God, he's your father. He is your heavenly father who loves you and cares for you if you are in Christ. That's the fifth thing we see, because when we worry, we're thinking like unbelievers. Jesus elaborates on that thought, verse 31. Therefore do not be anxious, saying... What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. The Gentiles here is an idiom for unbelievers. It's pagans. So Jesus says, this is what the pagans do. They're consumed with these things. They're consumed with the pursuit of earthly things. But we are called to trust God in everything. And Jesus says, God knows what you need. So don't be anxious. God sees you. Christian, who feels alone, who feels underwater and like nobody knows you and nobody sees you, God sees you. He knows you. He has not forgotten you. He is always for you because you are his child in Christ. And he has not promised to you that all your wildest dreams in this life will come true. No, he has not promised that. He hasn't promised that you will be wealthy he hasn't promised that you will be healthy. He hasn't promised that you will be surrounded by friends and admirers. He hasn't promised that you will have the marriage of your dreams. But he has promised that he will give you everything you need to glorify him and to live out your days as he has ordained them for you. He will give you everything you need to accomplish those good purposes for which he created you. So don't be consumed by the stuff of earth. Don't be consumed by provisions, great and small. You've got bigger things to focus on than just staying alive. Bigger and better things to give your life to than earthly comforts or securities or pleasures. You're not a pagan, so don't think like one. That's what 
He says here, verse 33, seek first the kingdom. That's what God's people do. The kingdom matters more. Verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. This, friends, is a powerful antidote to anxiety. This sacred priority. Seek first the kingdom. Make that the centerpiece of your life. The reign, the rule, the crown rights of the Lord Jesus Christ. The glory and honor and worship of our triune God. The proclamation of the gospel of this kingdom. Teaching people how to live in accordance with this kingdom. Make these things the all-consuming passion of your existence. And what you will find is that everything else comes into focus. That, that fog that you've been looking through. That distorting mirror. No, everything comes into right perspective. It will cause you to see things rightly as they really are. It will clear the fog of your understanding. When we seek first the king and his kingdom and his righteousness, we are filled with assurance that, that this God, the almighty, sovereign, ruling, reigning, highly exalted God is for us. What more could we want or need? He's not only for us. We are promised in Scripture that he's working all things for our good. It's astounding. What does it do for us? It produces praise. It produces thankfulness. It produces hope. It produces joy. And all of these things are supernatural antidotes to anxiety. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, the God of peace. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Rejoice! Offer your prayers to God with thankfulness, knowing that the Lord is at hand. These things, Paul says, is, is how God produces by his spirit in the believer his peace, which surpasses understanding and guards our hearts and minds. Finally, then, the seventh thing he says. Do not be anxious because tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Well, admittedly, this seems like a strange concluding argument. Cheer up. Don't be anxious. Tomorrow's going to be terrible. All right. Thankfully, that's not what Jesus is, is saying here. Anxiety, again, it's, it's, it's attempting to live in the future before it arrives. It's always asking that question, what if? And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't borrow on tomorrow's troubles. God's grace is sufficient for you today, right now. And tomorrow's grace will be there for tomorrow's trials. You will find... When you get to tomorrow, that his grace is sufficient for you then too. When that thing that you fear comes upon you, you will find his grace is sufficient for you there too. 
His mercies are new every morning. They will be there when you wake up tomorrow. Do not worry. We don't know what's going to happen to us. We don't know what's going to happen to our loved ones, but friends, God does know. And God's plans for us are good. In fact, God's plans for us are perfect. And there's such grace in his having revealed that truth to us, that we might live by that truth and not by our lying feelings. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we do know this. There will be new mercies from the Lord for whatever you face. We know that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And of course, Jesus himself knows that. And so he says to you, Christian, do not be anxious. Do not worry. The Lord Jesus Christ, hear this. He never commanded us to do something that was impossible. Impossible in our sinful flesh? Fine. Lots of his commands. All of his commands. For the spirit indwelled believer with new hearts and renewed minds, the Lord Jesus Christ has never commanded something that's impossible for us. He has never once sent us on a fool's errand. If he commands us to do something, it can be done. And so when he says to you, Christian, do not be anxious, it is not a cruel prank. He's not saying it to frustrate you by telling you something that you could never do. No, his command means he intends to empower us by his spirit to actually obey his commands. And I know if you find yourself overwhelmed with anxiety, that could feel impossible. It can sound impossible. It can feel hopeless to believe that. In fact, I know that this can feel like a word of condemnation. I am preaching to you as a fellow sufferer. Those of you for whom this is your home church, you know me, and you know that that's true. No one has reached perfection in this. Certainly I have not. I am preaching to myself. But I need to hear this truth. I need to be reminded of these truths, and, and brother, sister, so do you. But, but friend, f- fellow sufferer, hear this truth. If he says to us, do not be anxious. And especially if he says it repeatedly. And even more so if he says it several more times through his apostles in the New Testament. Then Christian, it can be done. You can obey him in this. This is not about therapeutic self-talk. It is certainly not about the power of positive thinking. It is a call to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. The one who sees us. The one who knows us. The one who cares for us. It is to call to fix your eyes on your sympathetic high priest who even in this moment intercedes on your behalf at the right hand of glory who will never ever leave you. Who will never ever forsake you. Whatever trials or troubles may await you in your future, know this for certain, beloved. Jesus will meet you there. You will not be alone. 
His mercies will be new and fresh and sufficient. And so you don't need to worry. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And we have unshakable evidence that this is true. We have unshakable evidence that God really is for us. That he really is working all things for the good of his people. That grace really is sufficient for us. That our soul really will be delivered from death. And ultimately that he will keep our feet from falling. And bring us eternally into the fullness of his glorious presence. And that evidence is the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But these promises are only for those who are in Christ. If you are outside of Christ, there is much reason to worry. There is much cause for anxiety. In fact, it's worse than you know. You have good reason to be anxious and fearful. You should be more anxious and fearful. But Christ calls you right now to come to him. To come to him to come and find life, to come and find peace, to come and find rest. Jesus says this in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Lord Jesus Christ says to you, come to me. The one who is not in faith, who is outside of these promises, who who stands condemned before God. The Lord Jesus says to to you, come to me. You who labor, you have been trying to justify yourself. You have been trying to atone from your sin, which is impossible. It would be like trying to climb to the moon on a rope made out of sand. It could never be done. You rest from your striving and come to me and find life. And he says to you, believer, you who, like I do, struggle with anxiety and worry and depression, as we'll see next week. Oh, he says to you, come to me. Come to me. Just close with these words from the Valley of Vision, that great Puritan prayer book. His prayer says this, Heavenly Father, my faith is in thee. My expectation is from thee. I believe thee. Accept thy word. Acquiesce to thy will. Rely on thy promises. Trust in thy providence. I have cast my anchor in the port of peace, knowing that the present and the future are held in nail-pierced hands. Brothers and sisters, this is where our hope is found. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who says to us, come to me and do not be anxious. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that is found in your word, the the peace that is found in your word, the life that is found in your word, your, your sure promises that you have given to us. Lord, would you cause us to rest, to, to run to Christ, to trust in Christ, to rest in him to cease from our strivings and our anxieties. Lord, to live as those who have hope, 
because you have given to us this glorious hope. Pray, God, that, that you would encourage those who are suffering right now. Lord, those who, are, those who even, even as they've heard this word of hope, are, are overwhelmed. They don't know what to do. They're full of fear. And they're hurting. I pray by your spirit, Lord, you would apply balm to them, to their hurts and to their fears and to their anxieties. Lord, I speak as one who, who has experienced the reality of these truths that we have heard from the Lord Jesus today in his word, that, that Lord, that, that there is hope, that there is peace in looking to you, but also, Lord, as one from whom that hope often seems to leak and I find myself feeling underwater. Lord, I confess that that, that that tendency in me is unbelief. And I confess, Lord, the only remedy is to run to the Lord Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. And I pray, Lord, that, that my brothers and sisters in this room who struggle in the same way, that that for them as for myself, you would call, lift our eyes by your Spirit to behold our God, to behold our Savior, and to trust in his word. Pray, Lord, that you would make us strong and faithful. That is, as people who live in a world of darkness and of trouble, that we would be those who trust in you because we belong to you. We love you, Lord. We thank you, God, for your kindness and your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.